The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. My voice is a little better than it was last week at this time, but it's still going to be a short episode. At least that's the plan because the last couple episodes have run over. I try not to do that. And let's be honest, it's Thanksgiving. So first off, from the Nolan family to you and yours, I want to wish you the most sincere of happy Thanksgivings. Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday. It's ironic because I don't like a lot of the traditional Thanksgiving food. Not a huge stuffing guy, green bean casserole, I could take it or leave it. It's just not really my thing. But I love the holiday in the spirit. I love the spirit of Thanksgiving. The number one trait that correlates with happiness in people is gratitude. And so the more often we can be grateful, the happier we are. And so I know we say we should try and live in the spirit of Thanksgiving every day over the course of the year, and we don't. We should, but we don't. But it's never a bad thing to take an opportunity and be grateful. So I love Thanksgiving for that. And that alone, we will not be having a turkey. We're going to be having steaks and loaded potatoes and broccoli bacon dip because eat what you want, when you want, and don't be held to this tyrannical food calendar. Do what makes you happy. You're not hurting anybody. You want to eat cereal at 2 a.m., eat cereal at 2 a.m. So the thing I want to talk to you today about, we're going to do emails as well. But the thing I want to talk about is the quote-unquote new look Buffalo Bills offense that we saw in the first game of Joe Brady's tenure 
as offensive coordinator. And to do that, to kind of start that discussion, I want to ask you this question. Do you like tater tots? Just think for a second. How do you feel about tater tots? All right, now, now that you've got that answer, and I want you to think about something else. How do you feel about waffle fries? How about shoestring fries? What about steak fries? What about baked potato? You big baked potato person? What about mashed potatoes? Have you ever thought it funny that every single thing I just mentioned is primarily just a potato that has been rearranged? Potatoes are the world's most versatile food. I mean, cream cheese is up there. Let's be honest. We've we've talked about this before. My love of cream cheese will persist long after my death. It keeps the world running, really. I mean, savories and sweets and no matter what you do, cream cheese holds up the world. But potatoes are an incredibly versatile food. It's amazing to me that we can have strong opinions about tater tots and say, oh man, I I love tater tots or I hate tater tots. And then have very, very, very different strong opinions about steak fries. That fascinates me because at their core, you have fried a potato. That's it. You have fried a potato. For example, I, of all the potatoes we mentioned, mashed potatoes is the lowest for me. And I, I like mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes are fine. But I don't like the homogenousness of mashed potatoes. I don't like the fact that it's one texture all the way through. I like my mashed potatoes to be a little lumpy. I like them to have some, some texture to them. I like hand-mashed. You put them in a food processor. You put them in a blender. You end up with this potato-like pudding. And I'm, I'm not a fan. I want the texture differential. But it's still a potato. How on earth can we have incredibly strong opinions about all these different things that are essentially just a potato? That's the important thing about understanding the difference between what we saw from Joe Brady and what we had previously seen from Ken Dorsey. It's the same playbook that was prepared by a different chef. It's the same potato that was prepared in a different way. You know, instead of cutting into large chunks and then frying it, we're cutting it into thinner chunks and then frying it. And that changes the dynamic of thing. It's still a potato, but it just goes to prove to you that there is an art behind play calling as well. You can have two playbooks and two different play callers operating from the identical playbook. And it can look very different. A little dressing here, a little dressing there, a pinch of salt here. Maybe I'm air frying instead of deep frying. Maybe I'm slicing it into quarter inches instead of half inches. These things matter from a final product when it comes to potatoes. You ever had a mushy tater tot? It's not great, Bob. The reason why you decided on a tater tot is because you wanted the texture differential. You wanted the surface area that comes along with the crispy outer edges of a tater tot. If you wanted a steak fry, which has naturally a more mushy interior, a softer interior, then you would have ordered a steak fry, but you didn't. You ordered a tater tot. They're both still fried potatoes, but they feel very different. Still a potato, feels different. 
Just change the shape, change the prep, change the fry, change the time. And all of a sudden, one potato ends up looking a lot different than the other potato. It's these little changes that accumulate over time. It's the intentionality. It's making a play call in the first quarter, seeing something, and then making that same play call with a little modification in the fourth quarter. It's not just throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. It's calling a game instead of just calling plays. Because when you play Tecmo Super Bowl, you can call plays, but there's no intentionality to that. You're just calling a play and hoping the other person doesn't call the same play as you on defense so you get that crazy blitz thing that always happens in Tecmo Super Bowl. That's calling plays. That's not calling a game, though. And so there is an art form to play calling. It's one of the reasons why I had a conversation with somebody on social media who is deeply involved in the analytics of play calling. And I said, you will never be able to capture play calling prowess entirely via analytics usage. You won't be able to do it. And I love analytics. You know me. If I can measure it, I want to measure it. You'll never be able to capture it ever because there's a part of it that is an art. Now, a lot of it is science. A lot of it is scheme. A lot of it is guesswork. But part of it's just art. It's understanding that what I call now sets up something later. And so you can call the exact same play, but based on the plays you've called previous to that, you can have different levels of success at that exact same play. There's, it's difficult to account for things like that. It's difficult to account for things like tendency breakers, about self-scouting and knowing that, hey, I know that I have a tendency to do this type of thing when I'm in this personnel grouping and this formation. Therefore, I feel like I've pressed that button maybe one too many times. I need to make it look like I'm going to press that button and actually press a different one. There's an art form to that. And so there's so much more to play calling than just the playbook. We have a tendency to think about it like scheme. We have a tendency to think about it just like the plays that are called. But play calling is as much of an art form as it is a science. In the exact same way, it's still a potato, but the way you cut it, the way you fry it, the way you dry it, what you fry it in, what type of oil you fry it in, how you season it, changes the dynamics of everything. It's still just a potato, but all these little changes, they add up, they matter. They take it from being a really bad steak fry to a really great tater tot. And I think what you saw from the Buffalo Bills offense differently with Joe Brady than you saw with Ken Dorsey is you saw two out of three. So as you are looking at NFL offenses, I want you to think about three things that define good offenses. Number one, were you efficient? Number two, were you explosive? Number three, did you take care of the ball? Were you efficient? Were you explosive? Did you take care of the ball? I think what we have learned and what I've kind of managed to crystallize in my own brain after watching the Buffalo Bills offense for the last year and a half have inconsistencies and then watch them do a little better against a really good defense in the New York Jets is that you can survive having two of those three things be true. You cannot survive only one of them being true. So the Buffalo Bills were efficient on offense this year under Ken Dorsey. 
I know this. This is where all those EPA per play, success rate, DVOA, that's where all that came from. We talked about this, moving the ball. They were moving the ball efficiently. But what they weren't is they weren't explosive and they weren't taking care of the ball. And so you would never define that as a good offense because they were only one out of three. But if you think about it, the Buffalo Bills, from an efficiency standpoint, they were actually less efficient against the Jets in all those same metrics. DVOA, success rate, EPA per play, they were actually lower. But what were they? They were explosive and they took care of the ball. The only turnover they had was a Hail Mary at the end of the half, which really doesn't mean anything. So again, they were two out of three. But previously, the Bills were only one out of three. They were efficient, but they weren't explosive and they weren't taking care of the ball. Were you efficient? Were you explosive? Did you take care of the ball? Give me two out of three and I'll give you a good offense. Ideally, I'd like to have all three. I'm not going to get super greedy, but ideally, I'd like to have all three. But what we saw is we saw a Ken Dorsey offense that was one out of three. They were efficient, but they weren't explosive and they weren't taking care of the ball. And then we saw a Joe Brady offense for one game sample size that was explosive, wasn't as efficient, and they took care of the ball. Give me two out of three. So as we are looking for why does this offense look better or why do they look worse, let's think about those three things. Let's frame it with two out of three. Give me two out of those three things. Give me either efficiency and explosiveness or efficiency in taking care of the ball or explosiveness in taking care of the ball or explosiveness and efficiency. Give me two of those three things and I can get you a good offense. Just can't give me one. You can't have a ball, a ball control offense that takes care of it, but they're not efficient and they're not explosive. You can't have an efficient offense that's not explosive and it doesn't take care of the ball. You can't have an explosive offense that isn't efficient and it doesn't take care of the ball. You get a 60-yard touchdown and you throw three interceptions. That's not going to get it to you either. Efficiency, explosiveness, ball security. Give me two out of the three. And I think what you saw is even though the two that you got from Joe Brady's offense didn't overlap with the one you got from Ken Dorsey's offense, it still worked. It wasn't as efficient, but it was more explosive, and it did take care of the ball. Two out of three ain't bad. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about potatoes, 
and we talked about two out of three. We were going to try and get through emails, and then we're going to get out of here. David sent me an email. He said, Bruce, do we fire McDermott? I think he's above average. I also think that Pagula's track record in picking head coaches is poor. Rex Ryan and the Sabres front office for years. I really think there's a real chance that firing him will mean a series of substandard coaches while Josh gets older. And I assume Bean stays. We had an elite team with Bean McDermott and a good offensive coordinator. I think that's our best, best path forward. I don't disagree. I think that in an ideal world, that is the best path forward. The question is, can you get that? That's what you're hoping for. Can you get a good offensive coordinator again that will stick around, do what needs to be done, you'll have the same success you did? I think it's, that's great in an ideal world. And I agree with you. I, I, McDermott being above average, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. However, I don't think you can look at the Pagulas and say, well, they hire bad coaches because I think everybody hires bad coaches. I don't think there's an ownership group out there that consistently nails every single head coaching job. I think the Steelers have done it, but one of the reasons why the Steelers have done it is because they've stuck with the guy for a really long time. And I think that changes the dynamics of the way that you do the job when you know you have that level of job security. So if we get to the end of the year, Buffalo Bills with the playoffs, they fire Sean McDermott, I'll be fine with it. I'll be like, all right, yeah, well, it's whatever. If they stick with him, I'll go, yeah, that's fine, whatever. I, I love to tell you that I, I'm going to have a really strong opinion on it one way or another, and I'm probably just not going to. Jay says, hey, Bruce, quick thank you for doing your podcast while sick. We appreciate the effort and commitment. I know you compared your voice to Barry White, but it was completely like Rod Sterling doing the entire show. Yeah, my voice, as you can tell, still isn't back yet, um, but I am feeling so much better than I was. And I'm, I'm very excited to enjoy a Thanksgiving holiday with the dogs and with my wife. Joseph says, Hey Bruce, writing in again, to send some good vibes your way. I'm sorry to hear about your dog. Sounds like the two of you had a wonderful friendship and you were lucky to have each other in each other's lives. Lately, you have seemed to address more non-football topics on TBE, which has nearly spurred me to write in on more than one occasion. But like you said, we don't know each other and probably never will. There's an implied almost parasocial familiarity when writing to someone in this fashion that I'd like to avoid if possible. So in addition to my well wishes, perhaps I can offer some content in return. Are the bills too results oriented right now? Are we as an organization too focused on winning a Super Bowl? Is it in fact possible for a team to be too focused on winning a Super Bowl in the first place? I asked these questions because after the Denver game, a game that should have essentially been a gimme, I began pondering the nature of loss, of losing, of what it is and what it means to lose and why this game hurt so much to watch. The conclusion I came for is it wasn't a good loss. What is a good loss, you might ask? A loss where you tried your best. A loss that occurred despite maximum effort. A loss where you left it all on the field and due to luck or circumstance or just being plain outplayed, you couldn't get it done. The Bills did not give us their best, or at least it didn't feel like it. Not to me anyway, and not to many fans who have weighed in to either anonymously or otherwise. I do think back on the Thad Brown piece about how the Bills are no longer a winning team. In the past, no matter the down or the yardage, Bills fans knew that we could count on the team to eke out some kind of play. We knew we could win games in spite of poor officiating. We knew we could make the playoffs regardless of what the rest of the league was doing. We knew we were headed to a Super Bowl eventually. And therein lies the rub. Are we too Super Bowl focused right now? 
Are we so focused on the specter of Super Bowl's past, of lengthy droughts and weighty expectations, and now we can't proceed? To rephrase, what if our goal was instead to be as good as we possibly can for as long as possibly can, Super Bowl be damned? How different would this team look if their focus shifted back to just playing solid ball, like when Josh Allen was still green, back before our hopes became expectations? Would losing still hurt as much? Because as any good listener of the pod knows, expectations minus reality equals disappointment. Take care. God bless. Keep doing you, man. Joe. So I agree with you. Be as good as you can for as long as you can. Hope you get lucky. I think what the Bills would have done differently is I think they wouldn't have signed Von Miller. I think Von Miller was very much an all-in sort of move. And I think we're going to see a lot of the ramifications of that if he doesn't end up regaining form after the ACL tear. This is the reason why I'm not an all-in guy. Because you end up hurting yourself. I don't ever go all-in, ever. Anyone who is in my dynasty league will tell you, I never go all-in, ever. I am number one in the league right now in total points scored. With massive injuries. Uh, Kirk Cousins is on IR. Joe Burrow's on IR. Justin Jefferson's on IR. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is on IR. Aaron Jones is hurt. I mean, I have horrible injury luck this year. I'm still leading the league in points scored. And I traded away Derrick Henry because I got a good deal this year. I never go all in, ever. Because there's so much luck involved. The number one seed in fantasy football, the number one seed in the playoffs wins the championship 36% of the time out of six teams. If you have a six-team playoff, the number one seed wins the league 36% of the time. That's incredibly low. The best team in the league out of six wins it 36% of the time. You still have a 64% chance of losing it if you're the best team in the league. You're way more likely to lose than you are to win. It's the same thing in the NFL. The NFL, the best team doesn't always win the NFL championship. In fact, frequently the best team doesn't win the NFL championship. It's not how it works. So I I never go all in, ever. So I'm never in favor of going on. Just do everything you can to be a really, really good team for as long as humanly possible. Because stuff happens. The Bills have been hit with horrible injury luck this year. Horrible. Matt Milano, Daquan Jones, Tredavious White. It's been terrible. They've lost three all-pro caliber players. Three of them. Just luck. Stuff happens. Be as good as you can for as long as you can. I have a feeling that if Von Miller doesn't regain form, we're going to think back differently on that six-year, $120 million contract. I think we're going to feel differently about the restructuring that they've done. I think it was an all-in move. I think the Bills would be very wise this offseason to not try and do the all-in thing. Instead, do the responsible thing. You have a lot of draft picks. That's great. You should use them. Love Micah Hyde, one of my favorite players. Might be time to let him walk. Might be time to make some cuts. I know you love Gabriel Davis. Let him walk. It might be time to do the responsible team-building thing. And not just go all in, all in, all in. Eventually, you can't do that anymore. You can't just go in all in forever. That's not the way it works. But that's the way we want it to work as fans. Just be as good as you can for as long as you can and hope you get lucky. Chris says, happy Thanksgiving to you and Mrs. Nolan. I hope you're feeling better. 
I'm not active on Twitter, nor do I have time during the week to engage with content creators, but I never miss an episode of your podcast when I binge listen during the weekend. Thank you for the great content, and it's both top-notch analytically yet heartfelt. We need a how and why are more important interrogatives drop sometime soon. P.S. I was watching Tuesday Night Maction recently. I'm a UB alumni, and I had to pause the game to capture this esoteric yet interesting statistic. And here's what he, he sent to me. So it was the Ohio Bobcats, the University of Ohio. They had a formula for winning. They add up together their interceptions, their fumbles lost, their sacks, their drops, and their penalties. Then they divide that by total offensive plays. So if you had seven combined interceptions, fumbles lost, sacks, drops, and penalties, and you had 70 total offensive plays, that's 10%. If a result is 12% or less, you win 88% of your games. Yeah, I love it. I mean, football is at its core about not making explosive plays for your defense happen. Like don't give the other defense an explosive play and try and get explosive plays on offense, right? Make big plays, don't have big plays happen to you. And everything you mentioned, these are things that kill drives. Interceptions, fumbles lost, sacks, drops, penalties. These things kill drives. If you have a lot of your drives get killed, you're probably not going to win. I love it. I think it's great. It just, it's interesting to me how different programs and different coaches can frame similar pieces of information differently. You've heard the phrase toxic differential before. Toxic differential is big plays, offense and defense versus each other. Who's winning the toxic differential battle? Teams who win the toxic differential battle have a tendency to win the game. Same thing. Brandon says, hey, Bruce, I have two hopefully quick questions for you. Number one, what does the Bills war wins against replacement, loss to injury, look like compared to other teams. I do not have that yet. All the accounts that I follow for those things, they typically update that stuff at the end of the season. So I don't have the answers yet because I have two accounts that I specifically follow for the purposes and both of them don't update that information until after the season's over. So I don't know yet. Uh, He said, it feels like they've lost a lot of key players on the defense, but every team has injuries. Yes, this is true. I have a hard time imagining losing three all-pro players will not put the Bills really, really high up on that list. I mean, all three of them are really, 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 really good players. Daquan Jones was having an unbelievable season before he got injured. His second question is, is having a defensive-minded head coach going to be an issue for sustained success? It was raised on another podcast by Greg Thompson of Cover One, and I don't want to believe it, but it rings true. Because the head coach is the architect of the offense, the Bills need a good offensive coordinator to make the most out of Allen. If they succeed, then the offensive coordinator will get hired as a head coach, and the Bills will have to find a new offensive coordinator. Basically, if the Bills get a good OC, the window's two to three years before they likely leave. If they get a bad one, they risk wasting some of Allen's prime, and every time they have to replace it, they're rolling the dice. While Mahomes gets the benefit of stability in Andy Reid offense, no matter who is the OC, is Allen doomed to a revolving door of OCs simply because McDermott isn't designing and or running the offense? Thanks as always. Hope you and your wife are feeling better. Now, I've mentioned before that I have a preference toward offensive-minded head coaches for exactly the reason you mentioned, and I do. However, the idea that it is required for sustained success is not backed up by the evidence. It's not backed up by Bill Belichick. It's not backed up by Mike Tomlin. It's not backed up by John Harbaugh. 
these are three of the longest tenured, most successful head coaches in football. They've both won multiple Super Bowls. All three of them have won multiple Super Bowls. They're all long-time tenured coaches. I mean, sustained success was the question. And none of them are offensive-minded head coaches. So, yes, I would prefer that for exactly the reason that you said. But the data doesn't back up the idea that you can't have success sustained with a defensive-minded head coach. So I don't think it's necessary. I think that everything that you're talking about makes sense logically on paper. And it's an inconvenience associated with having a defensive-minded head coach. But it's not a deal-breaker. It's just an inconvenience. It's an annoyance. And this idea that you get an offensive coordinator and you got a two- or three-year window where they get hired away, that stuff happens anyway. That stuff happens anyway because of other reasons. For example, the Chiefs are now going through it because they had an offensive coordinator who left. They still have an offensive-minded head coach, but you still need an offensive coordinator to help, and it matters that they lost Eric Bieniemy. It matters that they don't have good receivers in Kansas City. So yeah, they had an offensive-minded head coach, but that's not guaranteed year over year everything's going to be great on offense. This idea that you isolate that one variable and then all of a sudden you're just good on that side of the ball forever. That doesn't, that's just not backed up by the evidence because there's so many other levers that get pulled to see to it that you have a successful offense, like your offensive line and your weapons and whether your quarterback's playing well. And yes, it's nice to isolate that thing and have an offensive-minded head coach and just not have to worry about that. Sure. But there's so many other factors that go along to it. You can't just say, well, we're going to have an offensive-minded head coach. We're just good there. Yeah, you've isolated that one potential variable, but there's still a ton of other variables that can cause your offense to not be good year over year. I didn't even mention Mike Vrabel. He didn't win a Super Bowl, but Mike Vrabel's a great head coach. He consistently gets a lot more out of his team than he rightfully should. Not an offensive-minded head coach. Also a long-tenured head coach. I just, I don't think it's necessary. I think it's beneficial for all the reasons you mentioned, and I agree with it. I would prefer that as well if all things else were equal. But all things else aren't going to be equal. So I don't think you need it. I think it's helpful for that one specific reason. Evan says, now I know everyone heard in the third quarter of the Jets game when Tony Romo said, now if the Bills can win the next three games, they got to be Super Bowl favorites, Jim. Well, they scored the most points against the Jets since 2021, so part one complete. Now they're going to go into the link with a new OC, Joe, I like to party Brady, and the Johns from Delco are going to witness a fully armed and operational Josh Allen. Josh will right all the wrongs from the past, completing a lateral to Dalton Dute Kincaid, who has his first career rushing touchdown, throwing a deep touchdown to Reggie Gilliam on a Hail Mary, and also throwing touchdowns to Ty Johnson, Khalil Shakir again, and Kincaid. He also hurdles someone for a touchdown. Bills 42-35. Tony Romo calls Josh Allen the greatest quarterback to ever play. I'll take it. My voice is getting a little bit weak, but I held it under 40 minutes this time. I talked about potatoes. We talked about 2F3. We talked about defensive and offensive-minded head coaches. We did the thing. The thing has been done. Happy Thanksgiving again to you and your family. I wish you the absolute best. Give a loved one a hug today. Tell them that you love them and you are grateful for them. Let's all try and be in a spirit of gratitude and Thanksgiving today because that will help us be happy and we want to be happy. Thank you all for everything. I appreciate you. 
That's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rockers.